Men rising up to end the silence around us about the chains that bind us, to dispel the darkness of illusion with luminous spiritual technologies, to finally become the hero within us all. This is the Arise, the Honest Man's podcast, and my name is Karun Avatar. With me is my dear co-host, Jai Jagannath. And today, we're getting into a super fascinating topic. Uh, let's just say kind of like the yoga of prosperity. Perhaps uh, Jai can also just introduce these two fine gentlemen that have joined us today, Yamuna Bihari and Madhuri Pura. And uh, we're so excited to dig into their hearts and minds. Um, welcome, Jamuna. Welcome, Madhuri Pura. Before I introduce you to, I just want to give a little quick shout out to our newsletter. We're finally ready to come out with a weekly newsletter. You can sign up for the newsletter at arisemen.net arisemen.net. We're looking, we'll be putting out things that are informative, inspiring. We're looking for personal testimonials. So if you have your own stories that you'd like to share with us, that you wouldn't feel too embarrassed to have publicized, or you can share it even anonymously or certain wisdom things that have helped you over the years, please mail us at ariseheroicman at gmail.com and sign up for our newsletter, arisemen.net. We're really happy to start this initiative. Gradually, gradually, we're trying to build it. All right, I need to plug that really quick. Welcome, Jamuna. Welcome, Madhuri Pura. Um, they're like my little bros, so I can't I can't see them in any other way, even though they're largely successful, a lot more successful than me in terms of their conventional behavior. But I can only see them as my little brothers. I lived with both Madhuri Pura and Jamuna in the ashram at different periods of my ashram existence, so that's why I see them in that way. Um, they transitioned out of the ashram and have become quite um, successful entrepreneurs, which is why we're inviting them on the show today. Um, we want to hear about their life before and after Ashram and that transition period and how they were able to move into this sort of entrepreneurship space while still keeping a spiritual consciousness. Um, you'll get a sense of their personalities through the, through the podcast itself. And We'll be happy to, we'll be interested to plug you guys, have some thing coming up very soon, beta life and so on at the end. But this is why we have them on. So let's get into it. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on, guys. Thank you for having us. Of course, you're anywhere else. <laughs> They're both um, sweet talkers, so be careful. <laughs> All right, so, talk anywhere else. <laughs> All right, the first question that I have for you guys, and I think it's of interest, is we want to hear your story. We want to get to know you a little bit and hear your story, particularly with focus on your entering into the ashram. What were the things that led to your wanting to enter into that space for a period of time? And then transition out of the ashram. Transition periods tend to be a little bit traumatic, and um, especially in my experience with transition, you don't always have the most guidance to do it skillfully or gracefully. So it can be a little bit troublesome to the heart and still having transitioned, you develop yourself as entrepreneurs, which are quite successful. So we want to hear that story. Uh, and uh, yeah, and that way I get to know you guys a little bit through that story. So let's hear it. Who wants to go first? 
Why not? Why not? I, I, I'm excited to be here. And I like to, I'll be the opening act. Yeah, very good, brother. And, and I just want to say a deep appreciation and gratitude for you, fellas, for running this amazing podcast because it is becoming a solace for so many individuals around the world. And so I'm so grateful to get to serve you all and serving everyone else. I'll try to be as brief as possible. Um, being raised in Krishna consciousness, it was the weirdest thing growing up. It was like, yeah, sure, Krishna's God, but like everything else is like, nah, it's too weird for me. And it wasn't until I was 16 years old that my father said, I'll give you $100 if you read the Bhagavad Gita. I said, <laughs> the entrepreneurship started. <laughs> That's when everything started. And I said, it was the first book I read. I, I have a reading disability. So I was like, all right, fine, but for a hundred bucks, I'll do it. And I did it, and I said, oh, so this is what you guys have been talking about this whole time. Oh, this actually makes sense. And then I, I, I started chant, chanting and trying to chant, whatnot, and then I wanted to become a brahmacharya, but they wouldn't accept me underage. So when I was 17, Gunagrai Maharaj, for anyone who knows that great soul, uh, he would come and visit our family, and I would say, you know, I want to become a brahmacharya. He said, you're a mamacharya. You you're not ready yet. And he was doing this actually to lovingly prompt me and, and get me to step up to the plate. So eventually, uh, on my 18th birthday, I moved into the Brahmacharya Ashram. Um, I, the monks just impressed me. I was like, I want to be more like them than I want to be more like anyone else. That, they, they, they impressed me more than anyone else in the world. And I was a monk for about four and a half years. And then... Um, you know, studying the various Vedic arts and literatures, making sense of it. And then I graduated uh, the monastery, which, as Jai, as you mentioned, it, it's usually a very precarious situation. Any transition in the material world is precarious, but specifically going from a celibate monk who doesn't really do much of anything but wake up at 3.30 in the morning and spend his whole day just doing Hari and stuff, Going from that to going to what I, I thought at the time was something else, uh, thank, thank God I had guidance. And my spiritual master kind of guided me through the whole process. And we actually had a formal graduation. We you know, did it uh, bona fide, if you will. It wasn't like the traditional way where you just show up the morning program wearing white or something like that, um, which was the graduation process for the last Which was a very traumatic experience, by the way. We'll, we'll, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> Totally. When I've, I've heard that, and I've had so many dozens of friends who experienced that, so I was like, I don't, I don't want to do it the hard way. So I graduated, and then slowly but surely, I um, worked my butt off, overworking and stressing myself out, traveling around the world, getting underpaid and overworked, and my spiritual life suffered like anything because I was so focused on trying to make a living, trying to make a living because I thought, you know, you got to work hard. To make money and not only was i making so little money that i was so under the poverty for like two and a half years um and this is about what four years ago or so that i graduated the monastery so for some time i worked so hard and made so little money that my poor wife just suffering like anything with just the bare hardly the bare minimum in really unfortunate situations and that really caused the urgency for me to take advantage of honing in my skills in a way that can be full of growth. Because I always thought, you know, what's, if every aspect of spiritual life is nandam buddhi vardhanam, is, is ever increasing, 
and it's blissful. If, if, if the nature of spiritual life is, is ever-increasing and abundant, then why the heck am I working so hard and feeling no juice? And, and there's, I have nothing to show for it. And so fortunately, one of my dear friends, um, who's now a teacher, impelled me or really pushed and convinced me to take advantage of my career in a way that's integrity with the other aspects of my life and specifically my spiritual life in a way that my career is not different than my service. And usually we think, you know, career work means it has to be different. But in my case, it's like, you know, I learned that why, why would it be different? Why does it have to, it doesn't have to be different. So why separate the two things? And so for the last, um, 15 months or so I've, uh, I just serve. And I also make a you know very successful living doing that. And I help way more people than I ever did before, overworking myself and stressing myself out. And I have the opportunity to have whatever morning program I want every single day, get to eat the food, the quality food that I want, get to live in the place that I want, near the ocean, get to you know have the type of spiritual practice that I want, get to employ other devotees, et cetera, et cetera. And all this has come, uh, I mean, that's a short answer I can say. You know me, I'm not short-winded. But that's that's the overview of how I got to here. Okay, I got to follow up with that something you said, but I'm going to come back to it after we hear Jamuna's story. Oh, Jamuna Ji, you're muted. Oh, sorry. So for me, <laughs> sorry. Um, for me, I lived in Florida for my whole life, and I went to college there. And that's actually where I met Madhuri Pura. And I was into many different psychedelic, you know, sort of lifestyles, <laughs> to put it to put it in one way. Um, and and I was studying music, and I was studying sustainability and biology, and I was getting a degree in biology and ecology. And um, you know, I, I don't want to say like such psychedelic, but like into like a an, into like a counterculture sort of vibe, where it was like I prided myself on how much I could experience out of life with the littlest amount of resources. And like, that was like me beating the system, mm. you know? So it's like, how much can I like juice out of life with like the bare minimum resources? And I was like, aha, I've cheated everyone, you know? <laughs> and, um, right. and I had the opportunity, you know, when I was 17, I met the devotees, I met people practicing bhakti and it, it really struck me. And, and what struck me was their character because I was quite averse to, you know, the concept of, you know, organized religion or institutional religion or God. And, you know, I, I was into music and I saw them chanting and I saw them doing kirtan. So I said, oh, what is this? Like, what are these instruments? What is all this about? And they're like, oh, like we're, we're chanting the names of God. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right, you know, you know, not my thing, but, but but really like there was something in it that just that just like captured me and i started you know going to their programs and there was like the most amazing like vegetarian food i've ever had in my life like the kirtans were really amazing like i was really into the musical aspect of it all and then what really captured me was the character with which these people lived and I realized it was like categorically different than my friends who were like into environmental issues or social issues or race issues. It was like categorically different and that they, they had a level of character that actually just cared about me. And, 
and wanted to bring me up in my life. And luckily, like for me, the devotees I met, like were not very judgmental about about where I was at in my life and the externals of what I was doing, because if they were, I probably wouldn't be on a spiritual path right now. But they were very gentle, you know, with me. And I just started chanting a little bit. I became vegetarian. You know, I started to try to reduce the other things. And naturally, they lost their taste. You know, it's just like, I actually lamented about it. I was like, I was like, man, why is this like not as much fun anymore? You know, like to enjoy and 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 to to you know kind of party and whatever. It just became less and less enjoyable. And I was like, is any of this actually helping me become the person I want to be? You know, like is is partying and like whatever else I was doing, like is that helping me become the person I'd like to be? Like, is it helping me become more humble? more of service, more compassionate, mm. more thoughtful. I was like, it's pretty much just all about me, you know? And, and so I got the opportunity to, to move into the ashram when I was a senior in college. And so I, I did that. So I graduated college while I was living in a monastery. I never considered myself a monk because I felt like it was a high standard yeah. and I knew where I was at. High Christians are flexible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, I knew, you know, I knew I wasn't going to ever take like a saffron, you know, the, the saffron robes um, and that it was, a, I knew that I wanted a partner in the future and I knew that this would be a great time for me to just immerse my consciousness in refining my character, which I had seen over the four years of being with devotees and being in college that there was many things I needed to work on with my character. And so then I, I moved to India after I graduated college. And um, that, was, that was really, you know, eye-opening for me and, and, and deep spiritual experiences there. And also just like, what am I to do with my life? You know, like I knew I didn't want to work a nine to five. I knew I didn't want to just um, be surrounded by materialistic people. And, but I also didn't really have a clear next step. And so I was bathing in the Ganges River every day in, in Mayapur and just praying and just like, what is my next step? Like, where, where do I go? What is my next step? And um, I was praying really fervently. And then I woke up one day after that prayer and I had received an email from Virabhadraram in the Bhakti Center. And he said, you know, we have this vacancy in the, in the men's ashram. We would love for you to be here. And I would just like literally like remember like jumping up and down. I was like, yes, like this is where I wanted to live. Like there's been like a wait list to live here. Like nobody gets in to live here. Like it's like the best place for, you know, spreading bhakti in the West. And, and there's so many talented young people that live there. And um, so anyways, to condense the story quicker, I, I basically started my own Ayurveda practice after studying for many years on my own and with different master teachers in India and, and master teachers in America and went from like, you know, being a, a celibate uh, monk, you know, or, or at least being in a monastery setting um, to having a business. And that took some time. Um, and then I went, you know, around the city, giving people marma therapy, giving people really beautiful Ayurvedic uh, treatments for their body. And, and from 80-year-old grandmas and queens to, you know, 30-year-old, you know, CEOs and penthouse suites, you know, on, on, on 32nd Street or whatever. 
and just seeing like, oh, wow, this is cool. Like I'm earning money doing something that I feel completely aligned with, you know, like I, I didn't know that this was possible for me. Mm. And it's Jagannath's healing science. You know, it's, it comes you're, you're, you're referring to Marma. Yeah. Marma therapy, you know, it's, it's Lord Jagannath science. And so it, it's, it's divine. It, it's, it's meant to awaken the consciousness and, and have the chaitana, the, the circulation, all the, the consciousness and the blockages in the body be released so we can experience a deep level of healing and mm -hmm. be able to operate from that state. So I thought mm -hmm. it was pretty cool. Like, okay, I'm making a few thousand dollars, you know, I'm doing this. And then in the, in the same token with Madhuri Pura was like, you know, I feel like I have a lot more to offer. It kind of came to a certain point of like hustle and like who is going to be my next clients and like how will I support a family with just like a few thousand dollars a month and like this is not like the most sustainable thing for me to be doing just like running around all day you know in trains in the city and giving different people body work um, and so it kind of came to a point where um, it was just like either you do this for real or or don't do it. And so that's that's when I made the jump. Okay, that was a very dramatic pause there. <laughs> in fact, I'd be interested to hear about this. Um, we'll have to do this maybe in a future episode, but Marma is Jagannath Hilly Science. I don't think people have ever heard such a thing before, so we would have to unpack that. But I wanna um, jump into another question. I'm sorry, Corona, just jump in at any time, but I wanna jump off with something that my, um, Madhuri Porras said about spiritual life being Ananda Bhuti Vardhana, which was very interesting in the context that you used that phrase, you know, ever expanding bliss. Now, when I hear that statement from my study of Shastra, Ananda Bhuti Vardhana kind of relates to what's happening in the inner world and doesn't necessarily, necessarily or even usually um, relate to what's happening outside. So Ananda Bhuti Vardhana can happen for a pauper, like Kolavaja Sridhar, for example. He's a pauper, but he's experiencing Ananda Bhutivardhana. But you, you use that phrase in terms of also its impact on the external world. And I found that to all be <laughs> all of the above. I'm, I'm interested in that because, and this is my question to both of you, I imagine that there must have been a transition, during the transition period, a transition in thinking about how you approach like material, like dravya, material substances. Because with my sort of Shastra understanding, Ananda Udibharana means what's happening inside. You can be a pauper, you can be, and I'm like, I'm that person. And I'm happy with that understanding so I don't feel terrible about my life. You know? But you're using it in terms of like, all of the above, how it's bringing uplift even to your material circumstances. So I'm interested about that transition in thinking because you guys were in the ashram. The ashram and Bhagavad teachings in general um, kind of encourage or at least give the conception of renunciation from matter. Mm. And an a very strong encouragement of detachment and not making much ado about what's happening materially um, or with your conventional life. And I think that does get translated into a lot of devotees' lives when they're trying to live in the external world. But it seems like y'all have a different approach or maybe a little bit of an adjustment. And I kind of want to hear about that, how you're reconciling that sort of ashram teaching, that renounced teaching and mindset 
versus like having this energy to become entrepreneur and build yourself up externally? Mm. Well, I would actually say that there's there we're looking at it like this, right? Based on what you mentioned, which I agree with everything you said. So I'm just gonna name like I actually agree with everything you said. And it's kind of like, oh look, if you want to be in the material world, do it matter, that's one thing. Or if you want to be detached, that's something else. I would actually say that both are possible, but not mutually exclusive. And one can have whatever situation to be completely inner, you know, inner satisfied as well. And one can also have not just the inner satisfaction, but also manifest that externally. And I would say the biggest transition is for, for me personally was witnessing that not only did my spiritual master live in the world in a way where he was fully present in his spiritual life, fully exhibited all of the practices of spiritual life and advancement while living in the world around matter. Same thing with his spiritual master. And until, you know, he became, you know, in his sixties and then renounced and yes. And then so did his palm guru, you know, the Bhaktivinoda It's like, this is something that my teachers, what to speak of my like big brothers and teachers, even in this life have done is had a solid spiritual practice and live uh, with matter in integrity externally, the same way we live integrity internally. And so my point of saying that is that if one is inner satisfied, like I personally, I don't mind if I sleep on the ground. I actually usually choose it just because my back used to it for five years of sleeping on the ground as a monk. So that's cool. Like that's cool if some people like have that inclination to be renounced. And that's great because that's also an opulence. So when we're talking about opulences, renunciation is one of the six opulences. Same thing with strength, beauty, etc. These opulences are meant to be engaged in devotional service. It's not that renunciation brings bhakti. But bhakti brings renunciation. So the, situ the, the external circumstances are in some ways completely unrelated to what's going on internally. But if internally we are cultivating a consciousness of, of let's just say, overall spiritual life and spiritual practice, and we bring that into the external world, and we, we actually manifest that physically with matter. Because if it's, if it's in the mind, that means it's already manifest. The spiritual consciousness, everything starts in the mind. I mean, starting from Brahma down to us, us little, you know, to Elon Musk. Every idea starts in the mind. Everything starts in the mind. That's where it first manifests. And from there, it brings it out into tangible matter. So the idea of bringing that spiritual practice outside and using that with matter is the same way why we are here right now on this podcast. We could say, you know, probably get an example, you know, they bring money and I, they go like this, but I go like this, right? Because I know how to use that money. Because I know how to use that money in a way that will uplift everyone like that I'm, I can impact in a way that will bring them closer to Krishna. So the more that we step into a position where, you know, more money doesn't mean more, like, I don't, I got a $7 H&M shirt. Like, who cares about that the external stuff? But more money means, great, now I can support, you know, the cows more. Now I can support... Devotees transitioning from the Brahma Ashram in Norway. Now I can give you huge donations to my spiritual master. Like that's what more money means. More money means facilitating more spiritual growth for others. Mm. So again, so much more I can say about that, but it, that's really the main idea. Well said. Uh, don't worry, I have more questions to unpack it. So I'll I'll let you get out everything you need to say. But um, Jamuna, same question. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I can echo a lot of. 
in what he said, but that necessarily our path doesn't recommend, like renunciation isn't the key message of our path, but that dedication is, right? And so that you have desires and you regulate them, which is the purpose of yoga, right? And, and so spiritual life is not necessarily the activity, but the consciousness. And so when I, when I think about um, money, you know, for money's sake, like I couldn't care less. You know, like I, like I said, like I prided myself on like how little I could have and the, mo you know, how little I could have while experiencing the most out of life, mm. you know? So then, so then fast forwarding to time in the ashram, for much of my time in the ashram, I had, a, you know, $200 in my bank. And that was, <laughs> you know, I felt good about that. Yeah, I was like, man, like, look at, look at how I'm living. You know, I'm going to Germany, I'm going to this place, I'm going to India, I'm going this place, like I'm having an incredible life, you know, but I, I think once it, once it expanded past that and, and the scope of my responsibility expanded, which I knew it would, you know, inviting in a family, which is for, for the most part, the point of the ashram experience is to train you for living in the world. And so Ideally, I, I just want to edit that. That's a that's a the ideal. What happens in our actual institution is maybe something else. I'm gonna right. put it out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so, anyways, that's the ideal, and you know that's how right. I was approaching it. Was like I had different mm -hmm. standards that I had set for myself. You know, in order to enter a relationship, I was like, I want to finish Srimad Bhagavatam and Chaitanya Charitamrita and Brihad Bhagavatamrita and get initiated and have this much money in my bank so that I can emotionally, spiritually and financially support the person that I'm going to be with, you know? And so then it come, come, came this time of like, now my responsibility is expanding to like a greater family. Like where it was like, my time in the ashram was like, of course there's so much service that I'm doing, but largely it was myself that was benefiting, you know, from, from that time. And so then when I think about like money for money's sake, I couldn't care less. But when I think about like the greatest vision that I have for serving in the world and what that entails and like if I could just put aside my doubts and just like if Krishna wanted to use me to my highest potential, which we've seen happen with so many devotees in amazing ways, you know, and even those devotees have self-doubts. I don't know if I'm serving, you know, devotees that we know, right. you know, and ourselves, right? right? Like devotees that are doing amazing things in the world still have self-doubt and and just like having this question of like if Krishna wanted to use me in like the biggest way possible like what would what would I surrender my desires and what would I what would I what would I want to add to that mission you know Krishna's mission guru's mission if I just put aside my self-doubt now what is the financial component of that hmm. it's probably quite large Right. Like if if I want to live a lifestyle that's like I'm not just working nine to five, I actually have time to go to the holy places two to three months a year. I have time to travel to and do different retreats with people. You know, I, I have um, Leela's, you know, my, my fiance's guru living with us right in the room next door. You know, what does it cost to, to be able to have another space so we can have Vaishnavas and, and host them and feed them um, and and have like. How, anyways, so, so I sort of zoomed out and like, okay, the, the money is not important, but the vision is important. And the vision has a financial component if I want to do it at this higher level.
So it's like, if I want to work just a little bit and, and make a good amount and be able to give and be able to, you know, go to the holy places and all the different things that are going to nourish me to be able to serve at my highest potential, what does that look like? Mm. Right? Mm. And so mm. then it, it, I, I remember our guru, our His Holiness Radna Swami, saying this once in a lecture, and it really struck me. He said that, uh, he was speaking about both wealth and poverty. And he said that both wealth and poverty have the equal ability to corrupt one's consciousness. <laughs> because, because you think about it, uh, having a life that's self-centered, right? If you're in poverty or if you're in a poverty sort of mindset, you're constantly thinking about me, I, me, mine. And like, how am I going to maintain? How am I going to this? How am I going to that? Same thing if you're absorbed in your wealth, right? Yeah. You're just thinking about how much more I can enjoy, how much more I can gain. I can, I'm just going to control my situation with all the power that I have. It's all about me, right? They have the equal ability to corrupt in one sense. But we, and because there's a mood of renunciation, I feel like one of those is romanticized more than the other, even though we've seen both be successful in our, in our parampara, Mm -hmm. and in our communities that we have right now. Mm -hmm. Well said. I have tons of questions. Uh, I don't want to hijack it though, so go. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just at this juncture, I'd, I'd like to just dive into perhaps the mechanics of this much more expansive mentality towards money because, you know, I've come to notice in our society um, and even in my own personal struggles, that there tends to be this kind of uh, pandemic of a scarcity mentality, where you know we're just we're just kind of like scraping the bottom of the barrel all the time and thinking that we need to minimize as much as possible materially and so on. So I'm just interested to for you guys to tell us more about the mechanics of your um, of the shift that you made in the way that you think about money. What does Paul Guvara give, give us anyway, right? What is giving something up that could be engaged in devotional service? So, you know, there's these two terms for those not familiar with Yukta Vairagya and Paul Guvara, which Yukta Vairagya means engaging. Yuk, the same where we yoga, connecting from. And then Paul Guvara, like false. It's not something that's, that's, that's not based in reality. Um, and Vairagya means to renounce it. So we can either engage something in devotional life or we can give something which is Yukta or Pagavaragya is when we give something up that otherwise could be engaged in devotional life. So strategically, it's almost as simple as, um, well, simple. It's almost as easily said as keeping the integrity with our spiritual practice, the idea that we want growth and expansion in our own spiritual life. And that means, you know, there's a whole process of devotional life like nine steps it's like there's nine different process it's like it's there and it's it, the whole facility of the bhagavad philosophy is forever expanding spiritual consciousness ever expanding mm -hmm. spiritual consciousness so if if that is the goal and we're trying to become ak hakuru nanda if we're trying to become one pointed in that spiritual point with the goal of being full spiritual realization you know, transcending this material energy and reviving our eternal position, then why would not every other aspect of our life uh, encourage that and facilitate 
that one purpose. So if, as, as Yimuna so perfectly said, so eloquently said, this idea of like money being one of the opulences that's dire- directly of the energy, one of Krishna's energies. Like the, mm. the ultimate purpose of it is to be engaged in service and to engage others in service. So if the mm. opportunity of money is there, which it is for everyone, there's no scarcity of wealth anyway. You could, you could trap 30 tons of gold into a vault and drop it in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and the next day they find 40 tons in the mouth. Like, like, there's no scarcity of anything, even in the material world, in the ultimate sense. So why not take the resources that are available for all of us and use that to be engaged in service? And what mm. caveat to is, even if it's not for service, even if it's just for recreation, like there even is value in that too, for somebody to use that money in ways that helps them keep peace of mind so that they can keep engaging in devotional service. Because obviously, I don't know, uh, rollerblading isn't the goal of life, but if someone wants life to go rollerblade and it helps them to like their psychophysical nature to relax, then cool, let them do it. And we're specifically talking about like Grahasta Ashram here. For like those mm-hmm. who want to be renounced, like great, the process is there. Like hit it. You can, you, you can take... You can be as pure and poor as you can be as pure and rich. It's like, but specifically for those who are interested in facilitating um, growth for others. And as Muna was mentioning, like family-wise, anyone watching this with kids, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's not just like, yeah, let me just budget. Let me just scrape the barrel and budget it in. And I know growing up, my dad, anyone knows my father, he's an amazing Vaishnav. He's wonderful, but poor thing. He's raised nine kids, and he's just scraped the barrel practically his whole life. Just worked hard, day and night, and at the expense of his sadhana. And I thought, I don't want that. And he said, don't do that. And I was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so why not engage all of these material resources, all of these opulences in service anyway? So my point to that, mm-hmm. that's a long way of saying that my point to that is keeping everything integrity in integrity with the ultimate goal of life. And not distracting oneself by doing other things like working some job that's not in integrity with your spiritual life. Because that, that's taking them away from the ultimate goal. For those who are doing great, keep if that satisfies you, go for it. But if you can, and when I say if, everyone can. If you can engage those resources in that ultimate purpose, then every aspect of your life is in integrity with that ultimate goal, which is transcendence. Mm, mm, mm. Yamuna, Jai, just... I want to pose you, Muna, the same question, but I just want to add one more dimension, perhaps, in my question to you, Muna, um, is just that, is is there perhaps any any risk involved in sort of taking the step of becoming highly skilled at engaging with the material energy in this way, and perhaps becoming a little bit addicted at your own ability to kind of manipulate the material energy, even, you know, even it's to your advantage, because let's say that everything that you're, all the wealth that you're generating, you're using for a higher purpose. But is there somewhere where one needs to draw the line or is it truly like infinitely expansive? And do you trust yourself to be able to engage with with this energy in such a way responsibly, sustainably, continuously? Yeah, can I amplify that? Because that was one of my questions. Obviously, this discussion is presupposing that the interest as a practitioner of yoga, bhakti, is the highest goal, 
we're just going to pre like this. The direction of this discussion is presupposing that. All right. Growth and expansion in our inner world and in our consciousness. That's what this discussion is presupposing. Now, I feel like when we act <clears throat> or even when we think, they're like surface level thoughts. And then there's like this underworld of thoughts that we're not usually aware of. You know, sometimes it just, the language issues consciousness and subconscious. So we may have conscious thoughts. This is for the service of Krishna. But subconsciously, what's really operating at a very profound level is a desire for separate enjoyment. And, you know, it comes up or it gets exposed or, uh, in so many ways throughout the progress of our life. So we, we may not need to overthink this, but just amplifying what Karuna just said, the question is coming. You know, in order to, I, I guess I am, this is probably due to my ashram training and my own thinking about it, but I do think that we can be a little naive about what, how, just engaging in Christian service, like if it was that easy, I'd be already on the way back to Godhead. But right now, I know I got another 50 lives waiting for me because I'm not really qualified to engage this phone in Christian service all the time. I'm not really qualified to engage this computer in Christian service all the time. I'm getting weighed down by my engagement with the material energy. So when you have like youth of Iraqic concept, for example, you know, there's some big qualifiers right there in that youth of Iraqic statement. Like Anasaktashabishan. One is not attached to the object. I'm like, all right, count me out. <laughs> Can't do Yukta Vairagya. And then you know, near Bhanda Krishna Sun Monday. You actually in my reading of that statement, you have a conscious awareness that this is like the paraphernalia of Krishna. Everything. You you see that Krishna Sambanda. Then Yukta Vairagya Uchate, you know, Yukta Vairagya then. And I'm just like, okay, um, no. <laughs> so just amplifying what Karuna Avatar is saying, yeah, is there some risk or are, how do you not kind of sabotage your engagement with the energy, with this sort of thinking? Because this thinking is very strong in my mind. Um, for me, it doesn't really cause a problem in my life because I'm a very simple person. I don't have responsibilities to wife and children so it's not really a problem in my life but this is something that presupposing our interest is the goal of life that growth and expansion in our inner world should we not have some like judiciousness when it comes to engaging with the energy knowing that i may not have the potency to fully engage this energy without it weighing me down again giving the same example of a phone or a computer and so on mm. So Jamuna, sorry, we left out with you. Maduri, I'm sure you're gonna to wanna to say something on this too, but yeah, I just wanted to amplify that because it was like, it was in me since 15 minutes ago. I like, yeah, I mean, question. you know, I, I'm not gonna claim that I have all the answers, but sort of how I've thought about it personally is, is yeah, there's a danger in it. You know, there's a danger in it and there's also danger at every step, you know, right? We, we know that from our philosophy. Driving a car, there's a calculated risk you know, that people die in car accidents all the time. And the way to make it not dangerous is, of course, like you're saying, seeing it as Krishna. How do you see it as Krishna? You use it for Krishna. It's something that's a lot more simple in one sense of like, you know, Karuna Avatar brought up this question of like trusting myself enough. You know, when I decided to make this sort of switch, I had to trust myself enough 
right? To be to be able to know that I'm not just gonna like while out with like all this, you know, potential money and like, you know, power or whatever it is that that I could I could create from this. And so when I thought about it, it was like, what would I do if I was given, you know, two million dollars and I could only spend it on myself? <laughs> You know, like honestly speaking, I couldn't get that far with it. Uh, it was it was like all stuff that I could use in service. Like, oh, like I'd like a computer, you know, I'd like a camera that I can record with, you know, clothes that actually fit me that aren't just hand-me-downs from the ashram, you know, like and and being able to go to the dom, being able to, you know, well that then that's like thinking about what I can do for others. But um it didn't like it didn't like really get that far mm. you know as far as like oh i'm just gonna buy and buy and spend and spend and spend and make everything about me you know and and so it's like how do i how do i see it as krishna as well you practice flexing that muscle of using it for krishna which at any stage of making money or not making money is going to be painful Mm-hmm. Right. Like I remember hearing in one lecture, I, I shared this with you once, like a, a grihasta asked how much they should give. And they said, you know, you should give until it hurts a little bit. <laughs> like as far as like a monetary exchange. Right. Like, right. So um, it's it's like flexing that muscle. And 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 what creates that is taking your renunciation is just taking yourself out of the center. Mm-hmm. So as much as I'm I'm doing that. And I have my family, you know, as I'm building a family, like that's my service right now is like building a family that can engage with spiritual life. Like my wife doesn't have to work nine to five, you know, like my, my, my child, future child will be supported. We'll have the right structures and systems. We have her guru living with us and we get to spend most of our day not working, you know, and also like Midori Puri said, it's like my service is now my career and it's intricately linked with the vedic concept concepts of uplifting the consciousness so i i think it's many different aspects it's like charity you know getting flexing the muscle of charity and then also just like a dharma of like responsibility and and um this is sort of shifting a little bit but it was a thought on scarcity and it was sort of just this idea I've been wrestling with recently of, of creating expectations and creating conceptions of the world. And when we create an identity for ourselves, we have to create a philosophy. And then everything that comes into our world conforms to that philosophy. And so when I was thinking about scarcity mindset, I was thinking that actually it's e- easier for everything to conform to my conception of scarcity than face the feeling around me not meeting my potential and not meeting the fullness of, of what I actually do have to give. It's easier for me to just have everything conform. Oh, and, and confirm that. Yeah, you're right. Everything's scarce. There's no opportunities. It's the ashram's fault. It's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. They're not hooking you up. Mm. Right. And just like constantly other people's fault about me and my own self potential and my own self worth. And, my, and the value of the service that I'm providing to Guru and Krishna and to my family. So I just thought about it like that. Like it's easier to feel right about my conception that the world is scarce 
than face the feelings I have around my own success and my own meeting of my potential and development of my inner world. Wow, well said. Madhuri Pura, you might have some thoughts on this also. I just wanna, I wanna, um, Abir Saha, Premananda Vilas, dear Premananda Vilas, he says this. Um, do we have a choice though, Jaya, not to engage everything in Krishna service? Is it even possible to live in isolation of matter in our current condition? Yeah, I just wanted to clarify what, what I was saying was not in favor of, we, we can't live in isolation. Matter is literally our body is made out of matter. So we're not gonna escape it. But I was saying the, this sort of idea of like expansion, you know, cause you get a lot of teachings in the Shastra. For example, one, two, 10, Kamasan, Indriya, Prita, Laboji, Yavata. Then you just accept whatever's required to keep body and soul together. You know, and other teachings like can count, just the bare minimum. So I was I was kind of not really pushing back to putting it in the forefront of the discussion that is this dangerous if we think that too much about the expansion point because it, it can impact you in ways that you're not that you're not ready for or accustomed to. That was kind of what I was bringing up. I mean, I have my own experience of me in the ashram. This is a little embarrassing, but I have this experience. I'm gonna share it. It's a little embarrassing. But I have this experience when I, I dropped a guy off that I was kind of, I was inspiring him somehow or other. I dropped him off at the bus station. Before we got to the bus station, he said, can you drop me off at the bank? Drop him off at the bank. He comes out with this huge donation. And because I'm spiritual and I have saffron on, I'm really spiritual. I just grabbed the money and put it in the car. I didn't even really look at it. But if I had to move it in slow motion, this is how I did it. It was like, <laughs> it's so much shit. And I noticed that all the bills were 20s. So it was like this huge wad of money, and they were all 20s. So it was probably like at least $1,000 there, if not more. And I, I was like, okay, I put it in the car. I'm just going to give this to the tomb president. As I was driving back to the temple, which was about a 25-minute drive, I was in anxiety because the mind was like, bro, count it. Just count it. You're you going to give it to the temple. Though. Just count. See how much is there. And I was like, no, don't, don't do it. Every I was catching like every red light. And at every red light, it was like, come on, bro, you got like, got like 30 seconds. Just check it out real quick. Just real quick. And that was the longest 25 minutes I ever experienced. And what it revealed to me is that it's easy to speak in a certain way without that energy on you. And then once that energy came upon me, it was transforming my psyche in ways that were unpredictable. So that's kind of what I was bringing up to the discussion. Uh, and not to say that we should renounce it or be in isolation of matter, not at all, that's not even possible, but rather to be judicious about how much we want to expand that. That's why I really appreciate Jamuna's idea, like you have a vision for your life and that vision has a financial component. So, you know, you gotta look at that and see how is it gonna help you fulfill that vision? That makes a lot of sense to me, but not getting too much into like a sort of prosperity gospel sense where it can just be as much as you want and ever growing. So that's kind of what I'm bringing to the table here. Yeah. I don't know, Madhuri, Porter, you want to comment on that also? Sorry to- Well, no, there's absolutely nothing to apologize about, but you guys are so wonderful and brilliant. And I really appreciate you, everything you've been saying. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love them so much. And I'm so excited for all we're doing together because really I, I feel identical to what you're saying and similar to what you're sharing, Jai. And, you know, just to make sure one thing is very clear, too, is just because you have an anarta, not you, Jack, like, just because we have an anarta. Mm -hmm. well, I, have a, I have a lot, bro. 
to my I, I got more. <laughs> uh, look, like, yeah, like just because we have a narcissist doesn't mean that. Like, I, I actually pose the, the challenge that if we know we have an anarta, that's where the attention goes. At least that's how I personally gauge my life. It's like if I know I have a trouble with something, that's where I put my attention. Like that's the thing that needs transformation. So if I see that in myself, like, like I've got my challenges and I know that when they come up, I'm like, yes, 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 cool. This thing needs to change. Thank God I see it. Otherwise, how many gosh darn lifetimes am I going to have to take that I can work on this thing? So when something brings up an anarta, hoorah, that means that's the thing that's worth um, attention. And the other thing is like, what's the alternative? You know, it, 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 this this point that you just shared, Jai, is what like, you know, the 50 students I've worked with in the last 12 months or so, like everyone has that exact thought. And that is the thing. That is the very one thing that keeps people from pulling the trigger. It, and it's actually fear-based. It's not based in reality. It's based on a what if. What if something comes that makes, that challenges me, that gives, brings up an anarta, an unwanted desire, that then poses a threat to my spiritual life. If you are not getting those things coming up, you are not trying hard enough in your spiritual life anyway. If you're cruising without any obstacles, yeah, 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 cool. Doesn't mean you're doing that good. It means mm. you're not trying hard enough. It, there should be challenges. These things should be coming up. And so the alternative to what we're talking about, to like welcoming it as much as available and being willing to qualify ourselves, doesn't mean we have to be qualified, but being willing to handle that energy and, and challenge our own selves to deal with that integrity when the energy is there. When those opportunities come up again, that's what I mean by being in integrity with our own spiritual values. Otherwise, it's fear-based avoidance. Uh-oh. If I do that thing, that anarch is going to come up, and then I might do the wrong thing. We're going to do the wrong thing sometimes. Who gives a, you know, whatever. Like, mistakes, accidents are going to happen, but the main thing is that we correct the psychology. That's how you transcend the material mind. You create these new neural pathways that when the stimuli happens, you change the response. Because otherwise, the conditioned mind, we have it. You know, something happens, we react. Something happens, we react. We need to create that new reaction so that the response is now advantageous to our specific growth. That sounds something similar to what John was saying about just this one idea that it's easier to remain in a sort of scarcity mentality, which kind of gives you the liberty to blame other factors outside of yourself than to take up the responsibility of thinking about yourself in terms of success because it is a burden of responsibility. That makes, that makes sense to me. It does. I also want to acknowledge Lila Brindavan's comment here, which I yeah. think really is important. Guidance of sadhus at every step of the way, I think, is vital for the balance. Um, yeah. We want to elaborate on that so much because it's just so self-evidently true, I think, to help to this point. Mm -hmm. And sure. Yeah. I feel that that's absolutely essential. And, and when I exited, you know, or when I transitioned out of the ashram and, and really stepped into this new part of my business, I was also just like a little fearful. I had different scarcity mindsets. I had different fears around money and different negative beliefs around it. And basically as I was seeing that this is like in my path and that this is something available for me and that actually I'm, I am serving more people than I ever have with greater confidence and greater impact than I ever have. I was getting advice from everybody that I respect 
in my life. And mm -hmm. it was amazing because actually the most renounced people were the ones telling me to earn the most. Right? Like, you know, we have a we have a sannyasi living with us. It was earn as much for Krishna as possible. You know, I talked to brahmacharis and monks that I'm friends with. They were like, yes, like this is like, this is how you build a, a, a sphere of influence and, and can have a positive impact, whether that's just uplifting someone in their sattvic, you know, consciousness or whether that's leading someone towards a spiritual path. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think about it like this, like, okay, like here's like this next level of success that I'm seeing as an option in front of me. Now the question I ask myself is like, what level of integrity would I have to be at to be able to handle that and actually use that in the right ways? And so for me, it becomes like exciting. Like it's not like an avoidance of like, oh, like, you know, I've seen what happens already when I've made that step. Mm -hmm. And I've had guidance every step of the way. And I trust mm -hmm. myself enough to use the resources I have to not just go completely off the train tracks and like, you know, whatever. But that I use it as like an opportunity to like step into the next level of growth personally and spiritually and the right amount of compassion and integrity so that when that thing comes into my life, Krishna trusts me to actually be able to use it. And if I, if I don't, and there's like all these unfulfilled desires in front of me, how distracting to my spiritual life. Because when I look at all the unfulfilled desires I have, the immediate reaction that most of us have is envy, jealousy, blame, comparison, right? And like when I wasn't stepping into my own potential for like how I can serve, how I can impact others, how much wealth I can generate, that was the name of the game. It was like, oh, well, look at all these other successful people I'm surrounded by. What about me? You know, it was like I, I knew I had something to offer. And it wasn't like so grossly judging other people, but it was like a state of like lamentation of like, oh, well, these people seem to be so successful and, you know, receiving so much out of life. And I feel like I have so much to offer. If you're feeling that, it's like here as a teacher for you, right? Like the contrast that you're experiencing about your internal life is actually here to teach you something of like, okay, you know, I feel all this contrast and like I feel disempowered, I feel disconnected, I feel like I'm not meeting my potential. There's, there's three different modes of nature where we can reply to that. One is tamas, I'm just gonna steepen it. I'm gonna be the victim. I'm just gonna enjoy my suffering and enjoy my conception that the world is scarce and everyone's against me and it's everyone else's fault. That's tamas. Rajas is like what Madhuri Pur was saying, avoidance. So like, here's all this suffering like, okay, you know, my father was like a low life. My mom was always pinching pennies. I don't want to be like that. Therefore, I'll do anything but that. And then we run after something else in avoidance of what we don't want. But there's also like this third option of like, okay, I'm feeling all this contrast. I'm feeling all this internal stuff about my life and my character and my potential. What is, it, duality means dual. So two sides of the coin. If I'm feeling this side of the coin, it means that simultaneously the other side exists and it is available for me. And because I'm not saying yes to it and looking at it, I'm feeling its absence on this side, right? So it's like, okay, I, I feel like I'm lamenting because I'm not reaching my potential and my potential is very unique to my own person. I'm not lamenting that I'm not the next 
Hare Krishna, you know, astronaut going to the moon or whatever. I'm, I'm lamenting a very specific thing. And it's generally, I lament people, I, I lament about people that are kind of similar to me, but more successful than me. And so it's like within my scope and within my field of what I know is possible in my life, there's some part of me that's not saying yes to that. And because of that, I'm feeling all of this on that side. So now there's three options, steep in it, run away, or actually claim and say yes to your dharma and what you're supposed to be doing in this world and how you're supposed to be stepping into the fullest version of your service. And then the, it's a comparison remover. Once you do that, I can honestly say all my comparison, I don't want to say all, but I'll say drastically, yeah. drastically, drastically reduced. Mm. Whereas like, oh, I, and I remember, I'll stop talking, but I remember His Holiness Dhanadar Swami, he was saying that when you step into your Dharma, you're able to appreciate sadhus. Mm. And it, it struck different reflections in me because it was like, okay, if I'm stepping into who I'm actually supposed to be and how I'm actually supposed to live in the world and I'm actually just reaching my own personal little bubble of success and integrity, then naturally I can appreciate that which is better than me, that mm -hmm. which is higher than me. But if I'm not, then all I experience is jealousy, envy, comparison, blame, etc. Very nice. Well wow. Well said. So many nice comments here, but I really want to share this one. Um, it is an internal confrontation to realize that I need to live with more integrity. And my previous level of integrity may have been more of a stupid nonsense. I think this was in response to your opening statements. Like, what is the type of integrity that I have to embody to be able to hold more and serve more? Um, which was amazing. Karuna, how are you hearing all this? Because uh, how old are you guys, if you don't mind me saying? Y'all talking like y'all big old 25. Y'all talking like big old, you know, sages that are like 65 years old. Y'all have the, it just shows that you've you're, had. You're the sage guys. here. The sage means I'm not, I'm old. And I get, <laughs> you guys are 25. Karuna, you're a similar age. How are you hearing this as a young, as a young guy hearing this? I'm, I'm curious. I'm honestly finding it to be like a, a, a super surreal experience, you know, and, I, and, and I'll, I'll sort of because I, I'm 27 and I'm having like I'm having such intense struggles in this department of like, um, you know, like I've, I've done a lot of work internally and I really know who and what I am and I really know like who and and what I want and like what I'm capable of. And I've gotten to know myself really well. And, you know, I have my sort of like inner world mapped out really nicely. I have wonderful relationships in my life. I'm healthy. I know how to take care of myself in that sense, you know, but like this, 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 this last aspect of developing uh, financially and practically in the world is the last thing that I really need to tend to in order to become sort of like a whole person. And because I've been very sheltered my entire life, there hasn't been a lot of pressure or necessity to develop that thing. And then sort of like the more time ticks on, it becomes more difficult. It becomes more challenging to sort of step into that because you see your peers just kind of like accelerate at this at this incredible speed. I mean, it's like I see what Yamuna and Madhu are doing and I'm just like, I, I'm just struggling to really understand like how, you know, like how, 
how is it possible? It just seems like okay, free life coaching, Madhupura, Jamuna, life coaching. Let's go. Let's go. Some life coaching. You need the urgency. Right, you have just... to. You have to insert coins to continue. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I went through here because this is a, what Karuna is feeling. I honestly, when I saw the topic, by the way, Karuna Avatar was the one who invited you guys on for this particular topic. And I think, like he, most young men, a lot of young men today would be having a similar issue and not being able to step into it. And this is why this topic interests me personally. I have my sort of renounced conceptions in my head, and those, those are my beginning questions are like that. But I'm gonna bring, bring the conversation down slightly, I'll bring it down to a more, let's say, mundane level by saying that the reason this topic interests me because it seems that for people in general, but I'm thinking for men in particular, status is an important thing that we, I feel like that we as Hare Krishnas tend to like run away from. Mm. And we don't, because status is bad, status is materialistic. And when, at least in my reading on Shastra, what we don't, what I appreciate is that Shastra does have a very strong renounced message, but it's talking to people that already has status. They were already like situated in their dharmas. They were, you know, having successful families. They were having successful jobs. And therefore, Bhagavatam can just come down heavy on that point because that all of that was already in place. But then you join the Hare Krishna movement as an 18 year old nobody with no skills, no capability, or, you know, minimum, or you haven't really fully come into who you are yet. And, and then you hear those messages then it becomes a sort of justification to just remain, you know, undeveloped on a side with the part of you that needs to be developed. If there's, if surrender is to be fully authentic, because if you don't have anything to let go of, the question may come up like, what are you surrendering? You ain't, you ain't got nothing on me. First of all, go outside, get attached to some stuff, build yourself up a little bit. And then you're offering that to Krishna, but now you're offering nothing, you're taking advantage. So that's how I was kind of saying the importance of this topic. So yeah, I want to hear like a response to what Corona Avatar is saying. Like, how would you advise someone to come into who they are? A coaching session, basically, a little bit. And we only got about 20 minutes on our allotted time, so not too long of a coaching session. But would it be the advice of young men? There are plenty out there, I'm sure plenty who would listen to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I also just, I also just want to say that like Yamuna and Madhu are both like very, very savvy entrepreneurs and businessmen, you know, and they're not just like, and I'm, I'm certainly, I'm certainly not expecting you guys to just kind of like hand out your secrets to the world completely free of charge on Arise the Honest Man's podcast. But I do know that there are a lot of young guys who are in a very kind of similar position to what I am. And I know that you guys have the tools necessary to help all of these, um, all of these people out there. And I want you guys to give them a taste of what, of, of, of this path that you've walked and just like, you know, just, just a taste of, of how, people like me and so many guys out there like me can access this um, higher state of consciousness and higher level of capability and, um, you know, and mastery, essentially. It's really simple. 
Right. Like, Wait, we, we out here pouring our, house, pouring our hearts out for like 10, 20 minutes. <laughs> All right. No, I, just, I just, I just want to say it's just education. I am not a business. Anyone who knows me, like, I just want to name. I went from making what I made every year to every month just through strategy, like, like, it, just through education. It's not like some. I have a knack for entrepreneur. Anyone who actually really knows me, like, even a little bit knows, like, I'm a late. I'm probably one of the most lazy people I've ever met. And sure, maybe there's some lazy intelligence there, but like. I'm not an entrepreneur. I have friends who are like, that's how their mind works. You're not a good fellow. So I just want to debunk this idea that one has to be like inclined. I'm sure that you could say there's upper class mindsets that want to be employers and not employees. That's there. But I mean to say one doesn't have to be like a vice mind to or whatever it might be, or entrepreneurial mind to do this. It's actually simply education. So the main educational point first of all that i'm going to say to you guys and for everyone is faith it's it, it all ultimately comes down to faith i'll come back to that strategically the main thing is again when i say bringing everything in integrity to your work it's getting clear on what it is you're meant to do number one you have to know your psychophysical nature someone like you like you're like you're like a thousand steps ahead of the game like literally someone like you all you have to do is like this boom and it's done like it, it's literally such a little it's just perspective change the main thing you need is to understand your psychophysical nature and know what like or you know what your dharma is what are you meant to do and then how do you bring that into the world? You need clarity in which how you want to serve the world with your psychophysical nature. And then here's the fun part. Here's the easy part. You just do it. Yeah. But you can't do anything that you don't have the clarity on. This is, well, the easy part, that's, that's, the, that's the joke. Is that, that's the easy part is the implementation. But the, challenge, the real challenge actually isn't doing it. The challenge is the clarity on what it is to do and how to implement that. So it's not really a question of like, oh, I think I know what I want to do. I just want to play music and travel the world because that's who I am. Like, what the heck does that mean? Like, what do you want to do? It's like, no, I want to empower this type of people. I want to work with these kind of people and I want to serve them by this. And this is the format in which I want to do it. And this is the amount of money that I know that they'll need to get pinched in order for them to fully dive in and fully take advantage. This is a misconception. People think we charge because we need the money. Krishna's taking care of us. Krishna's we don't you don't have to worry about getting the money. Krishna's gotcha. Especially us, like we're good on the ground and just you know eat simple dot. Like we're fine. Krishna's taking care of us. The money's for them. So that when you go, uh -uh, oh, I don't want to give those fruits of my resource, it impels you. It impels you to step up to the plate and dive in. So and that's where the money component complements the, the service aspect. People go, oh, you charge for your service, bro. Is this not Christian culture? <laughs> Romans only take donations, bro. If I take donations, sure, I'll eat all four chip rice. You know? What is that? That's a, that's a bug flying in my face. So the real main thing is like getting clarity of what it is you are to do. And then and then simply trying. And this is what I mean by faith. The mind says, but I can't, but it's but 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 what if but no, screw the what ifs, nothing's gonna be perfect anyway. 
So just try. Otherwise, you know, you're either growing or you're dying. This isn't you, Chris, bro. But everyone, like plants don't just maintain. They're either growing or they're dying. Mm. Same thing with us. If we're not choosing growth, which is an integrity with the spiritual life of, of, of growth, then we're choosing death. We're choosing to not invest in ourselves. And again, I think it comes down to clarity and then the faith that Krishna will take care. And you will only know that, like Yamuna was saying, with practice. You, you know, even if it's, what is it, one drop a day, uh, you know, melts the stone away. It's like, even if it's just a little bit, just do it consistently and you will see that Krishna will consistently provide, if you're clear on what it is that you want, how you're going to use that. And that also means charity, which I think, I'm not going to say much on because I think everyone knows the benefit of charity. But you said there's like what parameters when you're making money? Like it, it's important to give the kind of charity that makes you oh. Like I remember when I first gave my first like to my spiritual master, I gave him like a certain percentage of everything I make. And I remember it was like, but does it but you know, I think he's fine with that. But maybe I shouldn't, but like maybe I should actually use this for, and it's like and I remember giving it, I actually cried. It was a substantial amount of money, too. It was like twenty thousand dollars. I remember like I cried. Yeah. I was just like Ugh. and then after when I got in my right I was like why else would you make money? What else is the use of money? Why else would Krishna even give you money if you're not engaging it in these ways? There's no use anyway. There's no use anyway. Nice. Jamuna, coaching session. Three minutes. Three, five minutes. You don't have to give all yeah. your secrets. For yeah, I mean, it's... I'm happy to. <laughs> You know, Madhuri Puro went through this sort of process of transformation, you know, a little bit before I did. And I was really inspired by what he was doing. And I'll be a little vulgar and say that, honestly, when I saw, he's like, oh, yeah, I just made my yearly income, my monthly income. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, are like, if you're like learning how to like sell cocaine or like sell something, <laughs> I'm like open to the idea, but like, I'm not sure like if it aligns with my purpose. So, you know, I, I was like, <laughs> I was like, how, like, how is that? I, I didn't know it was an option. I didn't know that it was an option to like, you know, even myself 10 times my income or 12 times my income from what I was making before. I didn't know. It's not that I gained substantially more skills in what I'm doing. And it's not that I gained substantially more business information of like, this is how you run every part of your business. It's like, what is my business? It's just me. It's just me and the programs I run and the people I charge. And the, the, the way that I like, I like one of the points that he said is like, whenever someone is paying for it, it's like, First of all, with the model that we learned, you're releasing the codependency that you have on making money, like for someone else to meet your financial goals for you. So first of all, that's huge energetic shift of like, I know you want what I have and I want your money, <laughs> right? Like, which is to be honest, like the underlying energetic shift, whether grossly or subtly in a lot of business exchanges. Right, right. But rather, when we when we connect with people, we lead them through a process of you know visioning about their life, and if we can be a part of that and serving them with that, then we help them say yes to that. But if we get clarity that like this is not what you need, like you you don't need to work with me, we also help them say no. Mm -hmm. And I've had profound experiences helping people say no mm -hmm. to my 
services. People are so grateful for that level of integrity and that I'm committed to serving this person, right? I'm, I'm here to serve you, whether that meets my personal preference or not, right? And, and to have that level of trust in Krishna is deep. It, it, it has helped me in my spiritual life so much, actually, that I'm not the controller. It's no amount of business techniques that's going to get me there. But it's a, a mood of service that you carry with you. And then the price is not the price that they pay to get there. The price is what they put down to leverage their desire to get the results they want in their life. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's not just like, oh, I pay you and then it's done. It's like, no, here's some substantial you know, monetary exchange. Now that's going to leverage my own desire which I've already gotten clarity on is a, you know, is a key part of my life right now and something I'm done tolerating and something that I really want and please help me. Then using that amount of money to leverage your desire to get the result you want and your health and your, and your mentality and your business, right? And so he laid out a few of these different steps. Is like, one, you have to know your gift. Most people start with step one being like, I want more. Like, where's, where's the money? Where's the people? Where's the whatever? That is not step, mo- step one. When you operate without a central axis, then every direction you go is, is misguided. If, if you're using a GPS and you don't put in your location first, but you have a place you want to go, you're not going to get in any directions at all. You're just going to wander right? A GPS works by here's where I'm at. Here's who I am, right? And then here's where I want to go. Here's how I want to serve. Here's how I want to upgrade my life. Then you just follow the first steps. Most people won't do that. Most people won't make those steps. And so first, know your gift. Second, you have to desire more, whether that's your spiritual life or anything else in life. It's like lolium, you know, greed is like the first the first qualification in our spiritual life, you have to become greedy for Krishna. In the same sense, it's like my, my service, my career has become synonymous with my seva for Krishna. And I have, you know, picture of my guru and I pray to him before every class, before I talk with every person. And I say, please let me serve this person in alignment with, with what you desire for my life. And then step three, which is really important, which he didn't mention, is actually hiring someone hiring someone to help you make that step because you have blind spots and doubts and negative beliefs about everything that you're doing that has prevented you from doing it thus far. And so having an external source to shed light and to help you step forward is like the the example is given of skydiving. So first, you know, you love nature, you love uh, the mountains and whatever, then you know you want to experience more. You want to experience some adventure. You want to experience some, you know, thrill. Then you hire somebody, right? That's step three. You hire somebody. Then, you know, they strap you to their chest. You're going up in a plane. You're waving bye to all your friends who are too scared to say yes. (laughs) And and then they take you up in the plane and you're 10,000 feet in the air. And this is where all the subconscious resistance comes up. Is it worth it? Am I trained enough? Um, how will I find the clients? Do I need a website? Do I need this? Do I need that? Do I need a trillion things? I'll never be successful. It's not my karma, right? Which even try to spiritualize it a little bit. 
<laughs> my, my lack of self I was, was going to ask on that. Okay, we'll come back to that. You know, it, it's not my, you know, it's not my. So, and then it's like all the resistance, like change means you're asking for resistance to come up, like by definition, mm. or else you would have done it already. Right. So then the physiological reactions happen. You begin to panic, you breathe, you start to sweat. Right. And even when you're in the air, you can still decide to come back down. Right. You can still decide, oh, actually, I don't want to jump. And they'll they'll respect that. They'll take you back down to the ground. You give them a nice big fat donation for a plane ride. Right. You have to decide to change. You have to decide to take that leap. And in, in let you will not. If you wait to feel safe to jump out of the plane, you'll never jump. Right? So you're catching what I'm saying, right? Like when it comes time for you to choose, you know, your own business, your own life, if you wait for yourself to feel safe, when by definition you're trying to change what your subconscious mind is telling you is unsafe, you will never jump. So don't keep, you know, paying for plane rides to go up. Don't keep wasting so much energy dreaming about skydiving just get a nine to five mm -hmm. don't worry about it. it's not for everyone mm -hmm. but you know if, if you have this desire to step into your dharma in that sort of way then realize you're by definition asking for fear and resistance to come up and then you have to make that change mm -hmm. Corona, you're going to say something. And then comes strategy, and then comes all the other parts, which is actually very simple, and it's the natural evolution of everything else. After, it's you've, made very after you've made that decision. Yep. Well, firstly, if I, if I could offer my bandavax right now, then I would. Um, and then secondly, you know, it's like I've, I've gone through this cycle over the, uh, like let's say about the past year where it's like, I, I formulate my vision. I know I, I, I know exactly, exactly what I want to do. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. I can't. I can't. You know, all the doubts, the fears, all the things. And then it's like, oh, God, but so much financial pressure. Okay, I'll just get a job to empower me for a little while, you know, and then just kind of get on my feet and stuff. And then, and then it's like, okay, I'm going to start looking for a job. And I, and I go through the whole process. And, I, and then it's like it gets to that point and the application is there. And I'm just like, I'm looking at this thing that I'm about to do. And I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Like, I can't, and I can't do it, you know? I just, I can't. I can't bring myself to do it because it's just too mundane. It's too ridiculous. And I know exactly what I want to do. I know what my higher vision is. And it's just like this fascinating kind of, cycle and i'm just confronted with this thing constantly and it's like anyway so i'm i'm deeply moved and i'm amused and i'm like i'm i'm fascinated and i'm just uh very happy to be here right now thank you so much and you muna what was your uh question around oh, real quick before you jump into that i just want everyone watching to repeat one word everyone's just gonna repeat one word with me okay everyone watches right now Repeat after me. You ready? Veda life. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. So yeah. First of all, we're, we're going to plug that for sure. I didn't forget about that. There was a, I, I wanted to say, or just maybe offer as a qualifier, um, just this first point about discovering your, like your dharma, so to speak, or what it is you're going to offer to the world. I feel like I've discovered that 
um, by not so much by thinking, but by action. And uh, the way that what, how I lived when I was in the ashram and how I live now post ashram life, it's very clear that I have certain qualities and or skills or a skill set or capability, and that's what I'm supposed to be offering to the world. And I do think that I largely fulfill that qualification of this little skill set that I have. And that skill set doesn't require for me, doesn't require of me upscaling too much in terms of my financial requirements, for example. I can still live relatively simply. Like I don't have any partnership or anything like the children. And so I feel very satisfied. I don't compare myself to others so much. When I hear about other people's successes, I'm like, great. I, I don't like feel anything, which is also a problem maybe. <laughs> uh, sometimes I can feel, you know, encouragement, encouragement energy. But so, I mean, I'm saying that I, I experienced what you're describing here without also having the requirement of expanding more. So it's mm -hmm. not that in every Dharma field mm -hmm. that that level of upward mobility is actually required. Once you discover what you have to offer, you may or may not require that level of upward mobility. And so like, at least I'm thinking about it. And again, I'm coming back to Shastra a little bit. You think about like Brahmanas, their level of upward mobility was minimum compared to like a Chatriya, for example, or compared to a Vaisha. So the discovery of Dharma doesn't necessitate necess necessarily or like obligatory, this sort of upward expansion to a very high degree. And would do, yeah. <clears throat> I'm not fully self-satisfied. I got a lot of existential issues going on, but I, on the material level, I don't feel pressed to do more than what I'm, I feel like I'm already doing a lot and I'm increasing also, but it doesn't always translate in terms of the financial part um, necessarily. So I just, I guess, I guess this is a question. Is this true or not? Like, as, as far as how you're looking at things, is it true that otherwise people may feel, this is the other side, hearing this conversation, people may feel that unless I'm, maybe I found my daughter, maybe I'm acting on it also. Like maybe I'm, I am, have made that decision, I've become courageous and somehow other, I'm not expanding a whole lot, but I'm expanding enough to meet my needs and I'm satisfied. Then have they achieved the purpose of what you guys are talking about here. That's what I guess I'm, I'm playing. This is my last question because we're we're more or less out of time, but I wanted to put that out there and just hear a few thoughts on that real quick. Like 60 second answer to that is that it, again, you're either growing or you're dying. Like, like there's either more, you're either expecting more or not is the option. So the question then is why don't you want more if more is available? So it, and again, there's no problem here. It's not like it's a problem that you're happy with what you're going through. We're just talking about for those who experience unhappiness, who are noticing that they're tolerating, like they're not, they don't like where they're at. They don't like what they're doing. They don't like the amount of money they're making. It's a toleration for them. For those people, then the question is, for someone like yourself, if it's not a problem, great. And for the other people as well, it's like, why not want more? If there's more available, like for instance, if you make a million bucks a year, what does it mean if you live off of 50,000 of that, but give, you know, 95,000, yeah, $950,000 a year to this guy or your spiritual master or something like that. If more is available, why not lean into that? 
That's just something. That's that's my question. <clears throat> ponder for anyone with a similar mindset. Oh, because you know, as a general rule of thumb, maybe I don't feel that I require more in my present circumstances. And as a, another rule of thumb, at some point there needs to be a desire can get out of hand. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but desire can be very problematic. And as a general rule of thumb, scripture um, has a way of basically if desire outpaces your diva for a particular life, which you can never know precisely. But if your if your desire outpaces your diva, then you're up for really miserable existence. So as a general rule of thumb, Shastra does speak in such a way as to scale down desire so much that you can feel satisfied with who you are and what you're doing. Like this is my dharma, this is what I'm doing. I'm satisfied with it. The Shudra is happy being the servant in the house. They don't have to do more. They don't have to desire more than that. And if they do, and it's outside the scope of their diva, which they can't know directly, then they could be putting themselves in a very dangerous situation existentially. So I guess I just want to, I guess I want to tether the desire for more to these sorts of concepts that we also encounter in Shastra. We're like, desire is not to be the enemy, but it shouldn't outpace your... It's to be purified. I just, I just want to throw that in. We're not even talking about like get more material desires. What, the basis of, of my point here is actually to purify your desire. So there's not a question of like, do you, we should get, you should desire more, die. everyone watching, desire, we're just talking about like, get in touch with your desires, know them so that you can purify them. Otherwise they become unconscious. They're just, they're just there in the computing program. I can get behind control. that. I can get behind the purified desire. Well, I gotta make sure my desire don't become more because it's already a problem for me. I'm trying to keep trying to keep it steady, you know. Yeah, I really want to hear from you, Muna, but I just quickly want to remind all of us of of Leela's earlier point of, you know, consistently taking guidance um, of the sadhu. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I had to share this. He's one of our one of our guys. I can judge. <laughs> Let's do it. I like that. I think he's just something <laughs> anyway. Just I'm open to it. Anyway, so I just yeah, just 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 back to that, like, you know, if we if we can just constantly place wherever we're at at the lotus feet of the sadhus in our life, then then we should be protected from these um, potentially ever expanding desires. Yamunaji, what is your what is your stance here? I think there's everything that I've had to say has been said. And, and I'd also say that it's just, it's not for everyone, mm. right? Like it's, it's not for everyone. If your vision for life doesn't include something that's expansive and that can grow and that, you know, has a need for financial, like if you're just single and you're going to remain single, what is the need? Mm. Like, as far as like, when I think about how much money, you know, I'd like to make like, the budget for myself doesn't like exponentially increase along the way, right? Like I have certain needs that are met and then everything else is like, oh, like getting excited at what I could do for others and like for Krishna and like give to my guru and, and take guidance along the way. So I'd say it's, it's not for everyone. And like, we're not doing some, you know, Christian. God, why aren't you prosperity gospel right, right, sort of thing. right. But, but it is available, as Midori Pura is saying. And so rather than have the grovel, groveling thoughts and, and create a groveling existence, why not associate with 
those thoughts and those ideas and those concepts and strategies that can actually help you access your desires so you can purify them, so you can use them in service instead of just have them grovel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fantastic. I, I, I'm fully satisfied. Um, Jai Jagannath. As is our audience, I, I, we've had a wonderful engagement with this topic. People have been very inspired by this topic. They've been inspired by you too. Uh, even though you're so young, you speak with a lot of wisdom. Of course, to no credit of your own. <laughs> I have to say that as an older brother. But credit, 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 credit to the sadhus that you associate with. You are, are, it appears from your vibration, at least it appears that you are well guided. And so for you to share that with the world today is very nice. Um, we have here in the tag line here how you guys can contact you guys on Instagram. I think this is your Instagram handles at Jamal Bihari or at Madhu Life. Also, another plug for the AriseMan.net. That's where you can sign up for our newsletter. We'll be putting out stuff from Jamuna, from Madhu in the future. Don't worry, I didn't tell them, but now they know. And you can get all this um, just inspiring information and testimonials um, with, and with this ever-growing sort of community, especially intended to help especially men embody a greater integrity and become the type of men that they can admire instead of the gremlins that we tend to be in, in, in isolation or in our own desperate lives. Um, we wanted to give a plug for Veda Life. Can you can you guys tell us what Veda Life is? So people may be very interested after hearing from you guys to sign up for this thing and so on. Yeah, is, is that your Yeah. Well, and, and I will just say that anyone has specific questions, um, I want to assume, uh, you might also offer this, but at least for myself, reach out, ask questions. I'm happy to offer anyone that's watching this, because if you're supporting Arise, I will offer you a free one-on-one -on -one session, like a free 30-minute session, to explore these things strategically. But you have to be, you have to be tuned into the Arise, uh, you have to be subscribed, and then reach out to me at madhu.live. Oh, wait, Madhu, we need to talk because we've <laughs> talked about starting a membership thing. So hold yeah, on. Let's do it. Support this. If you're supporting this, I, I'm i happy to serve you. Um, you might do, I'm not sure, but I, 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 yeah, great. So contact us. We will be more than happy to serve you in this way and answer any specific questions of the beta life. In, in short, how do you get the life that you want, how do you get the clarity in the life that you want, how do you know what it is that you're meant to do in this life, how to create the strategy around doing it and then get the specific guidance, not just strategically, but also in terms of the um, mindset work, as well as how do you create a community of people, who are individuals who are also trying to up-level their life. That's what beta life is. Mm -hmm. Most people didn't have the opportunity like us to live in an ash, like to live in India for five years, whatever it is. Like, how do we bring these Vedic topics and these arts and sciences and technologies into our life in sustainable ways sustainable not how do we try how do we find it in sustainable ways that will propel us to our ultimate spiritual values and bring the rest of our life in integrity everything from our career to our spiritual practice to our health physical health our mental health to our inner purpose to our relationships etc etc how do we get all of these things in alignment and study educationally these Vedic sciences in a way that we can apply them sustainably. This is what Veda Life is, and we have the best teachers in the universe. Like maybe we could even get more. Like, mm. like we have the best teachers in the universe teaching these topics here, and we we put this together. I, I I've never been so excited to offer anything in my life 
more than just beta life that you and I are doing. When is it starting? March 17th. Is that right, Mumuji? Yeah, end of March. End, end of March. March. Okay. So we'll, we'll do some advertisement on our Arise social networks. And um, definitely you guys should check that out. It sounds absolutely amazing. You'll get more wisdom from these guys and more from some of the people they look up to who are absolutely extraordinary personalities as well. Like who? <laughs> like Raghunath. Raghunath. <laughs> like Davia, like... Johnson, like yeah. Diana, like Yogi yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. So definitely, guys, go and check that out. Check us out, ariseman.net. That's for the newsletter. Thank you all so much for weekly coming in and participating on this live. Check out Bodhika. Bodhika's got amazing new offerings coming this month that have already started, such as Take Note, which I'm, I'm particularly interested in with Kaylee and Ananda Marari, and many more wonderful offerings. Just check out this devotional online community. It's really amazing. It's growing in a beautiful way. That's Odika. And okay, Karun's got something. There's on. also just Hari Vilas later today is presenting on the polis, um, yes. unpacking some, some, some political themes. Um, super, super inspiring show. So please, uh, please check that out later today. I, th I believe 7 p.m. Yeah. Cool. All thank right. y'all so much. Thank y'all, Jamuna, Modu. Thank you, family. Who's thank, coming you for here. thank you for those who are here later. Hadi, hadi. Thank you for facilitating this. We can't wait to watch. Okay.